Well, Cedar Street Baptist Church, again, I love you very, very much. It's the joy of my heart to be with you here this morning on a Mother's Day 2019, and I just hope that every young woman in this room feels awful cherished. And yes, all of you are young women, in case you're wondering. Um, You know, one of the joys of pastoring a multi-generational church is days like today. I suppose most of you know this, but church comes in all shapes and sizes. There's no one perfect way to do church. If we were to walk into every other church, even in Candler County on Mother's Day, we'd see church done a little bit differently, and that's okay. There's freedom uh, to have differences in the way that we do church as long as Jesus Christ is central and the Word of God is proclaimed. But we are multi-generational here at Cedar Street Baptist Church, which means that we don't cater to one age group. And that brings with it great challenges, but also a great blessing. If you want to know the challenges, always ask your music minister. Because when when you're the music minister of a multi-generational church, you upset half the church with every song you you play. Because you can't uh, minister to everyone and and meet all their needs. But let me tell you the blessing. The blessing of of pastoring a multi-generational church is I get to see Titus chapter 2 carried out right before my very eyes of the older generation handing down the banner of truth to the younger generation. Because guess what? The family is where that's supposed to take place. Uh, I, don't, I, I don't know why there are many families and communities all over the world that think that's the church's responsibility to drop their kids off on Wednesday and say, raise my children. And yeah, we do it together, but it really starts and ends in the home. And so I do want to say, as we get ready to open up the text here this morning, I want to say thank you to the parents and the grandparents, to the ladies, uh, for being the nurturer of the family and for planting so many great gospel seeds. Because when you get a chance to pastor a multi-generational church, you see the harvest on days like today. And it is a great joy. So we're going to be in uh, 2 Timothy chapter 1, verse 5. And the title of our message here this morning is Sowing the Seeds of Sincere Faith. Sowing the seeds of sincere faith. We're going to look at a multi-generational family of faith. And so as we get ready to walk into the text, what do I want us to know? What's the big idea in one sentence as we consider 2 Timothy chapter 1, verse 5? Here it is. Sincere Christian faith spreads when families commit to sowing gospel seeds deep in the soil of their next generation. Let me say it again. Sincere Christian faith spreads when families commit to sowing gospel seeds deep in the soil of their next generation. And we're going to see a family that has done this well. So if you have a Bible, please turn with me to the book of 2 Timothy. The book of 2 Timothy. All right, this is, of course, right after 1 Timothy, and it's right before Titus, towards the end of the New Testament. If you don't have a Bible, grab the Pew Bible in front of you or beside you. It'll be on page 1181 in your Pew Bible. 1181 in your pew Bible, and if you would stand at this time, out of the reverence of the reading of God's holy, infallible, inerrant, and fully sufficient word. We're going to be in 2 Timothy chapter 1. I'm going to be focusing on verse 5, but I'm going to read verses 3 through 5 so that we have a full context. So starting in verse 3 of chapter 1 of 2 Timothy, hear God's word to us. I thank God whom I serve as did my ancestors with a clear conscience, as I remember you constantly in my prayers day and night, as I remember your tears, I long to see you that I may be filled with joy. And here's the key, verse 5. I am reminded of your sincere faith, a faith that dwelt first in your grandmother Lois 
and your mother Eunice, and now I am sure dwells in you as well. Let's pray. Gracious Heavenly Father, again, we love you. We thank you and praise you for this day, and I thank you for the church that by your design, when we are multi-generational, we see the opportunity to hand down sincere faith from generation to generation to generation. We thank you for the godly women in this room who've done that. So again, Father, as I prayed earlier, I pray that this would be a pleasing aroma and an act of worship to you, but also something that honors and cherishes the ladies of Cedar Street Baptist Church and encourages them to continue to spread those gospel seeds the way they have faithfully for so many years. Be with us as we consider the truth of your word by the power of your spirit. In the name of your son, we pray. Amen. So we're in the letter of 2 Timothy. And the one thing to note right out of the chute is this. This is actually, historians believe, the last thing that Paul wrote before he died. And Paul, of course, the most prominent writer of the New Testament, he writes this while he's in a second Roman imprisonment. And he's writing to young Timothy, okay, a young pastor, and he's telling him to persevere and carry the gospel torch in the midst of persecution. But then he talks about these two words that we looked at in verse 5, sincere faith. Sincere faith. He says, I'm reminded of your sincere faith. But then he doesn't start with him. He backs up and says, a faith that dwelt first in your grandmother Lois and your mother Eunice. And now I am sure dwells in you as well. Multi-generational faith handed down from generation to generation to generation. So what do I mean when I say sincere faith? Maybe it sounds obvious, but we need to talk and say, what terms are we talking about here? Sincere. This is genuine. It's real. It's true. It's pure. It's lasting. It's not based on one event. In fact, that's the great burden of my heart. When I stand behind a pulpit to many people who claim to have faith, I feel always a burden from the Holy Spirit to remind us that if you have sincere faith, the sincerity of that faith is you're not trusting in a day that you prayed a sinner's prayer. You're not trusting in a day that you attended vacation Bible school. You're not even trusting in the day that you went into the baptistry. Those are all outward signs of an inward reality. And if you have a sincere faith, you're not trusting in anything but Jesus. And you're trusting in Him now more than you ever have. And if someone looks at your life, although you're not perfect... They could say that person is sincere in their faith. They walk with God. You can tell it by the way they walk and the way they talk and the things that they do and their desire to glorify God. That's sincerity. And so what is faith? Faith is a transforming conviction and belief in Jesus Christ as Lord and Savior. All right. Again, faith is not trusting in anything else other than Jesus. You know, one of the things that um, often people will come and ask me, how do you know, Bo? How do you know you're saved? I mean, there's some of you in this room that have prayed a sinner's prayer more than once. There are many of you in this room that have been baptized more than once. And you want to be sure. You want to be sure. Well, here's the simplest answer I can give you. Don't trust in anything but Jesus. If you want to know that you're saved, it means you believe today that you're a sinner and you trust in Jesus Christ to live perfectly the way that you should have lived to die sacrificially the death that was meant for you, and that he rose from the dead, making a way from death to life. So as you're sitting in the pew right now today, you realize I'm a sinner who would have been condemned to an eternity without God apart from Jesus, but I fully trust in him that he was enough and my life belongs to him. 
If you can say that, you are a person of sincere faith. And sincerity means you carry that faith throughout the rest of your life. We call that the perseverance of the saints, those who are truly His. Although they will stumble, and some may even backslide, yes, that is possible, All right, we will still follow Him, and we will still be faithful. That is sincere faith. And we see here in uh, 2 Timothy chapter 1, we see the sincere faith of one family. A family that, of course, we're, we're, we're looking at young Timothy who's getting ready to be the pastor of this church in Ephesus, but we're talking about his grandmother Lois and his mother Eunice. And, and by the way, I hope this can help you to take a big deep breath. This family was not perfect. And no, no, neither is any family in here. Okay, Sometimes we are so insecure because we look at all these other families but we're just one big mess without Jesus. We are. And it's okay to admit that. But how do we know anything about this family? Well, in Acts chapter 14, we see Paul goes in his first missionary journey to a, a city called Lystra, which is in modern-day Turkey. And we find out that he ministers to many people and he meets Timothy, a man of faith, and he finds out where he gets his faith from. He gets it from his grandmother and his mother. And so I want to take a closer look at this first century family to see how they're sowing the seeds of sincere faith. So number one, let us look at how a grandmother who sows the seeds of sincere faith, a grandmother who sows the seeds of sincere faith. Again, verse five says this, I am reminded of your sincere faith. This is Paul talking to Timothy. And then he says, of faith that dwelt first in your grandmother, Lois. So let's talk about Lois. Lois is the matriarch. We got a few of those in this room. The woman who holds it all together. All right, the woman that you go to for all the answers. All right, the woman that is steadfast and firm and secure when everything else around her is changing. This is Lois. And I want you to think for a second. This is the first century. All right, this is in AD somewhere between 65 to 67. So this is only 30 years after Jesus died and rose again. All right, so that means that if she was a Jew who came to faith in Jesus, she was among the first and oldest converts of the Christian faith. She was a woman of faith, and she imparted that faith to her daughter, and she imparted that faith to her granddaughter, or to her grandson. And how do we know this? Well, later on in this letter in 2 Timothy chapter 3, verses 14 through 15, I want you to listen to what Paul says to Timothy. He says, But as for you, continue in what you have learned and have firmly believed. Now listen to this. Knowing from whom you learned it and how from childhood you have been acquainted with the sacred writings which are able to make you wise for salvation through faith in Christ Jesus. Guess what that means? Before Jesus Christ ever came and died and rose again. All right. Lois was learning the Hebrew scriptures and she was waiting for a Messiah. And then when her daughter and eventually her grandson were born, she was placing them on her knee and she was reading the scriptures to them over and over and over, probably before bed and probably when they woke up again, reading the scriptures over and over, planting the seeds, telling the story. That's what she was doing so that when Timothy was there at the time that Paul was preaching, he was fully ready to receive the gospel and be saved because he knew that he needed a Messiah. All right, the Jews were waiting for this coming king who would redeem them from their sins. And when Paul came to proclaim that that person came in Jesus, his heart was fertile soil because his grandmother had been tilling the land for decades. That's the power of a grandmother's testimony. And I would say it's probably the same for many families in this room. 
The kingdom of God will be full of families who came to faith under the shepherding of a matriarch, a woman who was a calm in the eye of the storm, and a woman who planted so many seeds, the rest of her family slowly came to faith. And I think about Cedar Street Baptist Church. I couldn't name all the women in this room who laid such a strong foundation. As I was sitting in my office just thinking about uh, some of the charter members, the godly women, and I'm going to miss on so many of them. The four that come to my mind are Irma Haddon and Eloise Cardell and Virginia Mercer and Catherine Creech. These are women who stood above a liquor store and said, you know, let's lock arms together and let's raise our family together. And that's what they've done. And I look out and I see the seeds. I see the harvest. All right, this is the godliness of a grandmother that can, can change lives. You know, <clears throat> I think about my own life. Uh, I would not say that my, my grandmother was a real strong spiritual mentor, all right? She was Catholic, and uh, I would say that I do think she knew the Lord. I would disagree with some of her theology and her practices, but I'm going to tell you one thing I did learn from her that I'm so grateful for. So she used to get up at 6 a.m. every morning, and she'd pray the Lord's Prayer over and over and over again. And I remember one summer, I think I was about 16 or 17, and I was sleeping in her living room on her living room couch, Again, at age 17, you stay up till 2 o'clock in the morning to watch all three episodes of Sports Center. I don't know why. It's the same one over and over and over again. But I'd stay up till about 2 o'clock in the morning, and then she'd come busting in there at 6 a.m. And I'll never forget, she never called me Bo. She always called me my legal name, Peter, because Bo wasn't in the Bible. And she'd say, Peter, you're sleeping on the clicker. Get up. Get up. You're on the clicker. And I, I finally figured out why she called it clicker, by the way. She had a Zenith TV in her bedroom that had a legitimate clicker. You guys remember the clicker? And that's why remotes are called clickers. Third generation today is like, what is that, an app? No, it's not an app. It was an actual remote that made a clicking sound. Well, here's the deal. Every day at 6 a.m., she'd come into the living room and she'd draw the shades and the sun would come out and I'd be just squinting. And I'd, I just remember laying on the couch and drifting in and out of sleep and she'd sit on her recliner and she'd say, I like to say the Lord's Prayer to the sun. And she would basically say, you know, our Father who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. And she'd repeat it over and over. Well, let me tell you something. In 2006, when I was living in California, working for the Oakland Athletics, and that was the year I came to faith in Christ, I was utterly lost and didn't know where to turn or what to do. But I found myself one night in my bedroom, late at night, didn't know where to go, what to do. I just got on my knees. I got close to a window, and I just started praying the Lord's Prayer. You know why? Because that's what I saw my grandmother do. I want to encourage the grandmothers in this room. Your daughters, your sons, your grandchildren, they may not give you all the respect that you deserve, and you certainly deserve it. You may have several grandchildren, and some are faithful, and some have gone wayward, but here's what I promise you. They know your faith, and they see it. And when things are going to go awry in their life, and they will, because we live in a broken world, and I don't know how anybody makes it without Jesus, they're going to look to you. The, the, the rock the calm in the eye of the storm, and they're going to remember how you prayed for them, just like the song that Brother Eddie was singing. All right, I did. I, again, my grandmother was not a great spiritual mentor for me. We never really talked about the Lord. She, was, she was owned a business, and even until her late 80s, she was running a business and making money, and that's all she cared about. But I do remember my grandmother's prayers, and I guarantee that your children and your grandchildren remember your prayers too. They remember yours too. So before we move on to number two, I want to say thank you. Thank you to the grandmothers in this room. Thank you for being the matriarchs. Thank you for holding the banner of truth. Thank you for nurturing the next generation. Thank you for pouring in 
to the family and keeping the family together, the glue that holds us all together. You know, someone says the man is the head of the house, but the woman is the heart of the house. Thank you for being our hearts. And that leads me to number two. If we've talked about a grandmother who sows the seeds of sincere faith, number two, let's look at a mother who sows the seeds of sincere faith. Again, verse five, I'm reminded of your sincere faith, a faith that dwelt first in your grandmother Lois and now in your, mo- your mother Eunice, and now I am sure dwells with you. So let's talk about Eunice, a second generation believer. She was trained by her mother Lois. She was a Jew. And then she came to faith in the Lord Jesus Christ. Now, here's what we do know. She was a woman of faith, but she probably was a woman who made some mistakes. How do we know she was a woman of faith? Well, she named her son Timothy, which in that culture meant fearing God. So she had a a son that she wanted to raise in the admonition of the Lord. And so we know that she was a woman of faith. Now, what, what issues could she have had? Well, we learn in Acts chapter 16, verse 1, that she married a non-believer, which was forbidden in those days. All right, it says uh, in that passage, Paul came also to Derbe and to Lystra. A disciple was there named Timothy, the son of a Jewish woman who was a believer, but his father was a Greek. All right, so we know this. She definitely married someone that was forbidden for her to marry, so she was not a perfect woman. All right, so if those of you in this room right now who are mothers and you're thinking about past mistakes that you've made, take a deep breath. God can still use us in our imperfection to do great things. All right, again, she married a Greek man outside of the faith, which meant that she was basically on her own to raise her child in the admonition of the Lord. He was not going to read the Holy Scriptures to his son. He was Greek. He didn't know the Lord. And I don't know why the Bible doesn't tell us why she married him. The Bible does tell us it was against the Jewish culture for her to marry him, but she did. However, she did not drop the ball on her number one priority of raising a godly son. And that's exactly what she did. She raised a godly son. She carried the torch. And I want to say to the women in this room, there is something that burdens my heart, and it's a reality for many of of you in this room. You have a husband who's not next to you this morning because you're the one that's become the spiritual leader of the family. And when that happens, I just want to encourage you. God sees it and loves you for it. He will bless you. As I said before, men are called to be the spiritual leaders of their home, but women are well within their right to to take up the mantle and lead the family if the man will not. And thank the Lord for the women who've carried the torch in this room when the men wouldn't do it. You know, um, I'm reminded of a few testimonies. Uh, Maybe about six or seven years ago, Benji Crooms came here and gave a, a testimony for Baptist Men's Day. And it was a really powerful testimony. And most of you know Benji much better than I do. He's probably related to the whole left side of the church. Uh, so you guys know Benji better than I do. But I remember the testimony that he gave about his wife, Melissa. He said that uh, Melissa woke up one Sunday morning and decided that she had had enough, that she wanted her family to be in church. And she got dressed and got the kids dressed and said to Benji, if you are not willing to lead our family, I'm going to do it. And he said he was on the couch and she left with the kids and he was, he was, God just dealt with him in conviction. And from that experience, God inspired him to do what God had called him to do and lead his family. And as far as I know, he's been leading his family spiritually alongside Melissa ever since. They've been very faithful. Now they're at Grace Community Church leading small groups. And um, what a powerful testimony that Melissa would stand up and say, you know what, I'm going to lead my family if you won't do it. And Benji answered the call when he was challenged. You know, a similar thing happened to me. 
A year before I got saved, back in about 2005, I remember that I went to visit my sister in Richmond, Virginia. And my sister and I, again, we were raised up in Catholic Church, but we really didn't know the Lord. Our hearts were never changed. And so we, in our 20s, kind of wandered around a little bit. But my, my sister came under deep conviction and wanted to know the Lord. And I remember a Saturday night at her house, she said to me, I'm going to get up and go to church tomorrow. Do you want to go with me? And I know it's hard to imagine this as a pastor. But my first thought was, no, I don't want to go to church with you tomorrow. I want to sleep in. I don't want to go to church. And her husband at the time was playing in a men's soccer league on Sundays. And so he didn't want to go to church. And so what did my sister do? This is before she had her two daughters. She got dressed and took herself to church. And she came in after service with the bulletin and dressed all nice, had her Bible in her hand. And I just remember thinking, well, I guess she's better than the rest of us. But you know what that was? That was God dealing with me. My, 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 my sister wasn't trying to rub her faith in my face. I mean, she wasn't. But I was under deep conviction that I did not know God. And sometimes when you're living in darkness, you don't want to be around people who are living in light. And so she inspired me. And it was a year later again when I finally came to faith in the Lord. And I will tell you, it is the joy of my heart to come to service on Sundays. It's the highlight of my week. I, I, I just love worshiping together. It's because I know God. And in 2005, I did not know him. I did not have the Spirit of God living inside of me. I didn't. But I, I praise the Lord for my sister's testimony. And again, I praise the Lord for the mothers in this room who love the Lord Jesus Christ and you love your children and you want to see them raised in the admonition of the Lord. And so when your husbands are not willing to get up off the couch, you come anyway. God is going to bless you for that, I promise you. And I hope that uh, she is an encouragement to you, Eunice, because she did the exact same thing. And so I want to say thank you to the faithful Christian mothers in this room. It is not an easy task. It is not for the faint of heart. What you are doing is a mighty task that builds the kingdom of God. I just want to say that we love you and we pray with you and we encourage you to keep being faithful. Keep pouring those gospel seeds into your children. Keep being that faithful light in dark places. Again, especially for the teenagers, they may not show you the respect that you deserve, but when they get into their 20s, they'll know better. Or in their 30s and 40s, they will certainly know better as they try to raise their own children. So thank you for being faithful. Thank you for carrying the banner of truth. And that leads me to my third and final point as we look through this family. Number three, let's look at a child who sows the seeds of sincere faith. So we've looked at the grandmother Lois. We looked at the, the mother Eunice. Now let's look at the child Timothy. Again, as we look at verse five one last time, it says, I'm reminded of your sincere faith of faith that dwelt first in your grandmother Lois, who we talked about, and your mother Eunice, who we just mentioned, and now I am sure dwells in you as well. Timothy, proof that the gospel harvest is finally coming and bearing fruit, strong in the scriptures and prepared for the gospel. Again, as we mentioned in 2 Timothy 3, it says he was raised up in the word. I want you to think about this. How is it that Paul could entrust this young man who was probably a teenager at his very best in his early 20s to lead a prominent church in Ephesus if he was just a young believer? He just came to faith. How could Paul leave him and say, you go pastor this church? And you know the answer? He was, he was a new Christian, but he wasn't a new Jew. He understood that Jesus was the fulfillment 
of the promise that, of the coming Messiah, but he had this entire foundation of the one true God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob that his grandmother and mother had laid that solid foundation. So when he came to faith, it was like a light bulb went off and everything made sense. And he was fully prepared, even at a young age and a new convert, to pastor an entire church because of year after year after year in his home, his grandmother and his mother did the work of an evangelist and they taught the scriptures to him and he was fully ready he was entrusted to be a pastor of God's sheep and I want to tell you I just believe that there's no greater joy than seeing the next generation come to strong faith in Christ and carry the torch I really believe that I I get excited when I see young adults of course for me personally as a youth pastor at this church for two and a half years now to see some of my former youth who are getting ready to get married or graduating from college and they're planning their futures. And for those that have stuck around Candler County, they're coming up in this church and they're part of the young adult ministry and they're, and they're serving on several committees and they're wanting to do with their, to their children what was done for them and raising them up here in this church. It's a joy to watch. That's what it should be all about, a multi-generational church where the banner of truth is passed down and passed down and passed down. What a beautiful thing it is to look at. And you know what? I'll say this to the children that are present in this room of all ages. If you're sitting next to your mother or your grandmother, you know, most of you, many of you may be here today because of your mother. But you'll really honor her when you get back here because of God. Mother's Day is one of those days of the year that people who are never in church will come because mama kind of says, you know what, for a Mother's Day gift, why don't you just come to church with me? It happens in every church. There are some of you who hadn't been in church in a long time. You're here with Mama, and we're glad you're here. But if you really want to honor Mama, ask the Lord to change your heart in such a way that when you come back to church, it won't be for Mama. It'll be for the Lord. And that gospel seed will sprout, and it will come to fruition. And I want you to look at your mothers. And I want you to look at your grandmothers. And I want you to see the life that they have the stability that they have and the faith that they have. And I want you to ask the question, where did that come from? It came from Jesus. It came from walking with him day after day, month after month, year after year, season after season, walking with the Lord Jesus Christ. There is a godly wisdom that can only come in time of walking with the Lord. There are some of you, again, who've never stepped foot in a theological classroom, but you have much more wisdom than me because you've just been following Jesus a lot longer than I have. And you inspire me and you encourage me and I learn from you. And I'm grateful for you. And so for those of you in this room right now who are here because you just want to be with Mama on Mother's Day, praise the Lord. That shows that you've got a mother or a grandmother of sincere faith, but she wants to see your faith be yours. And so I pray that God will grip your heart, that as you think about the rest of your life, that you will look at your mother or look at your grandmother and say, I want what they have. And you'll go back to where they go back to. You go back to the Word of God and the Son of God and the Spirit of God changing you to glorify the Father. This is what it means to have a multi-generational family of true faith. So as we get ready to draw to a close, how do I sum all this up in one sentence? I think I'd say this. Christ commissioned us to make disciples of all nations, but the first seeds we sow must always start with family. Christ commissioned us to make disciples of all nations, but the first seeds we sow must always start with family. Family is our first ministry. Okay, I'm your pastor second. 
I am her husband and the father of our daughter first. And I pray that God helps me not to forget that. And I'm going to say the same for all of you. Your first ministry is what happens inside your home. All right, church ought to be a place that we come together and help each other and support each other and lock arms and worship God together. But it ought to be an overflow of everything else that's taking place in our homes the rest of the week. All right, we need to be raising up strong gospel-centered families. And the reason why is the rest of the world will be happy to raise your family in something else other than the Bible if you don't. The rest of the world will be happy to tell you that happiness lies in something outside of the Holy Scriptures. The rest of the world will tell you what they need is something other than our Savior, the Lord Jesus Christ. The world will be happy to share that with your family. So we have to hold the banner of truth up in our homes and we have to tell them, listen, I know what you're watching on the news and I know what you've seen on social media and I know what you're hearing at school, but guess what? Can I tell you the truth that never changes? It never changes. The world gets awful creative to try to teach us that truth changes. Truth is eternal. We don't define it. We simply discover it. And once we know it, we proclaim it. Truth, the word of God, it lasts forever. We need to keep telling the story. You know, one of the things that uh, I love, I've had a a chance with uh, Brother Eddie on our uh, middle school discipleship program flight on Wednesday nights. We've just started with Genesis and we're every week. And I think uh, the Gospel Foundation series, I think Bubba and John's Sunday school class, you guys are going through some of the same material. It, I mean, it's great material. You start at Genesis and you start walking through and relearning the story of the Bible. You know what? You know how the Bible's lasted as long as it has? Because it was oral for thousands of years before it was ever printed and bound. It lasted by one generation retelling the story over and over to the next generation, to the next generation, to the next generation. And we have a biblically illiterate society today because we're not telling the story. And there's so many ways to do it. Yesterday, and and I'm blessed that Ashley and I get a chance to live about 500 yards from the Guido Gardens. But what an evangelistic tool that is without even having to really try too hard. We walk through the gardens and we get to the Psalm 23 the headstone. And I, I look at uh, Ren and I say, who's Jesus? And she says, good shepherd, because it's Psalm 23. And we walk into the carpenter shop and we sing a, a song together. And then yesterday we walked into the empty tomb and I, I, I looked around, I said, is Jesus in here? She said, no, I said, because he's risen. And Ashley said, he is not here. You know what I mean? Tell the story over and over. Keep telling the story. Don't stop telling the story of God in your homes. Tell it so that they know it and that they'll live it and that they'll share it. Tell the story. You know, something that often happens, I I can't tell you how many times in the years I've been in ministry, and again, I've been a pastor for three years. I was a youth pastor for two and a half years, but in all those years, uh, the question that would come up to me often is, how do I get my kids interested in church? They're just not interested. Well, let me just say this. You can do all the right things. Okay, there are some fantastic parents in this room. And you raise multiple children. And some are following the Lord. And some have gone wayward. And it's nothing that you've done wrong. All right, you can't control that. Don't think I don't know the statistics of of pastor's daughters going wayward. Scares the daylights out of me. I could do all the right things. Ashley could do all the right things. And Ren could go wayward in a hurry. So nothing is promised, all right? But I will say this, generally speaking, 
Generally speaking, your children will acquire an interest for the things that interest you. You know how I know this? Tonight, right around uh, after dinner, we put Ren down. I'm going to sit on my couch and I'm going to turn on Game 7 of the Eastern Conference Basketball Finals between the 76ers and the Toronto Raptors. And why am I going to do that? Because every single day of my life in the house I was raised in, my father poured into me a love for Philadelphia sports because he loved it, I loved it. And to this day, I couldn't deny it if I wanted to. All right, It's part of my DNA. My dad and I text through the whole game. And it's a joyous thing. I, I really enjoy the things that we can share together. But you know what? If you love the Word of God, it will spread to your family. If you're sitting in your house reading the Scriptures, I'm not saying preaching to your children. All right? I'm not saying chasing, chasing them around the house with a three-point sermon. All right? That's not what I'm talking about. But when they see you at the kitchen table praying over the Word, and they hear in conversation or even hear your prayers over and over and over again, they will cultivate a love for the things that you love. They will. Again, not perfectly. And we may have some who genuinely love the Lord and they backslide for a season. That happens. But if you want them to love the Lord, you need to ask and say, do I truly love the Lord? And if so, how am I showing that in my own home? It's just something to think about as we think about telling the story and passing down the faith. Now, as we enter into a time of invitation, maybe you were not raised in a Christian home. Here's some encouragement. I wasn't either. A lot of times, again, my daughter's two and a half, and as I'm trying new things, like I tell myself, well, that didn't work. (laughs) You know, I don't really have a clue what I'm doing. I'm learning as I go, but I know this. I love Jesus. My wife loves Jesus, and I want my daughter to love Jesus, so I'm going to do things that would show her that I love Jesus. And I would encourage you to do the same thing. Again, there's no blueprint. There's no perfect way to do this. Every denomination does it differently. Most Presbyterians go home on Sunday and they catechize their children at the the kitchen table. They'll go through the doctrines of the faith. There's other denominations that love singing hymns in the kitchen. All right, it's all different. But, you know, as we draw to a close, I want to tell you the story one time. All right, it's not the last time I'm going to tell you the story. It's the last time today I'm going to tell you the story. But I'm going to tell you the story. And perhaps maybe you could take this story home and keep talking about it. And those who come often have heard me tell this story many times. All right, when we talk about the word gospel, which is good news, I believe you can sum up that gospel in five words. And those five words are God, man, sin, Christ, and response. And I want you to listen closely because this is the powerful message unto salvation for those who are being saved. And so there may be someone in this room who does not know the Lord And the proclamation of this message may convict your heart to give your life to Jesus. So I want you to listen. Here's the story. The story always starts with God. And we learn in Genesis that God is holy and loving. In His holiness, He creates us to be perfect. In His love, He knew that we couldn't be, so He had a plan. All right, then there's mankind. Mankind made of the image of God, we're called to be holy and perfect like Him and be a reflection of His love to the rest of the world. What's the problem? Why don't we reflect God to the rest of the world? The third word is sin. Sin is something that you say, think, or do that disobeys the sovereign will and character of God. And guess what? Everyone in this room sins. 
You were born into that nature, which means you were a sinner before you ever committed a sin because you got that nature from our spiritual parents, Adam and Eve. So if God is holy and he cannot stand in the presence of sin, but he's loving and he wants you to be with him forever, what's the solution? And the solution and the only solution is Jesus Christ. Jesus Christ lived perfectly the way that we should have lived, earning our holiness. And he died the death that we deserved, taking on our punishment. And he rose from the dead, making a way from death to life. And he ascended to the Father and sent down his Holy Spirit that whoever would believe in him would not perish, but have eternal, everlasting life. Jesus Christ is holiness and love all displayed at one time on the cross. And when you hear that message, you are commanded to respond. Jesus says, you're either for me or you're against me. And if you are for him, you bow your knee and confess with your tongue that he is Lord to the glory of God the Father and you ask him to save you. That's what it means to have sincere faith. And that's the story. God, man, sin, Christ response. And that's the story we should be telling our children and our grandchildren at the tables. Ask your children, do, they, do you know that God is holy and loving? In his holiness, he will not tolerate your sin, but in his love, he wants to forgive you. Do you know that you're made in his image to be a reflection of God? You're his pride and joy, but your sin has caused you to fall short of his glory. And so therefore, you need to be forgiven and you need to be saved. And Jesus made that possible. And if you respond by trusting in him, You'll be cleansed and renewed and given the gift of eternal life. That's the story. And I want to say thank you to the grandmothers, to the mothers, to the future mothers, and to the spiritual mothers in this room who've been telling that story of sincere faith. Please continue to tell that story so that we would be a church that represents sincere faith from generation to generation to generation. Let's pray together. Heavenly Father, again, we thank you for the story, the good news of the Lord Jesus Christ who did for us what we could never do for ourselves. And thank you to the grandmothers and the mothers and the future mothers and the spiritual mothers in this room who all have participated in sharing the story. Help us, Lord, to continue to be faithful to you. I pray in this church right here and right now that you would raise up another generation of sincere faith that the torch would be passed in this church so that I myself would see my own grandchildren come to faith in this room. That's my prayer, Lord. Thank you for all the prayers that you have already answered for those that have come to faith. And we just pray that you would call many, many more unto yourself. For it's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen.